What's going on, people? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome to the Surfing Sales Bonfire Session. Scary stories with a couple of my friends, Dale Dupree and KG. I didn't realize the two, KG and Dale, never knew each other. So, KG. Oh, only digitally. Now yeah. it's real. So, um, Anyway, so I want to first give a shout out to our sponsors of Outreach Sendoso MedMed Meeting, um, Scratchpad, and Vidyard. So if you are ever looking for any tools to help you guys close out the year, uh, start next year strong, uh, let us know. And maybe if anybody's got a scary story about any of those tools, not to bash them, but maybe something weird happened, like, you know, that kind of a thing. Um it's going to be an interactive group. So, you know, feel free to put your cameras on if you like. Um, if you don't, that's okay too. Feel free to ask questions. Our friend Scott Lease um, bailed on us this morning. Uh, he says he's not feeling well. We we seem to think uh, that he's a little hungover from the Buffalo Bills big win yesterday. Because <laughs> So if anybody knows him, feel free to give him some grief for not being here. Um, Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and get started. So the goal of today is, um, please, you know, if you have questions, you want to join the chat, we'll be glad to have you do that. Um, since I'm the only one monitoring shit, I'm going to keep the, got to keep the beeps on. Otherwise, I'll never hear stuff. So and people will just sit in waiting rooms. Um, in fact, KG, what I'll do is I'll maybe even make you the co-host, if that's cool with you. Sure. Make co-host, cool. Yes. All right, so we're going to get started. I want to just, you know, the goal today is to talk about these scary stories we've had in sales and life. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Uh, but we also want to talk about what do we do when we go through them. And so if people have situations that are, uh, they want to share, we're happy to do it. We're also happy to give you advice. If you're in one of those weird situations, uh, we will gladly give you advice. Um, and in the meantime, um, KG, Talk about your early career in sales. Like for those who don't know, in fact, real quick, Dale, KG, introduce yourselves. KG, go ahead and go first. Uh, let folks know your geniusness. <laughs> it's, it's no geniusness whatsoever, actually. Um, no one ever said I should be in sales. No one ever said, KG, you've got the gift of gab. You should get into sales. Uh, my first job out of school was at Franklin Templeton Mutual Funds at uh, in uh, Foster City, California. And I was making 10 bucks an hour and a guy next to me was making like $10 and 50 cents an hour. And I said, how the hell do you make more money than me? And he's like, I just been here longer. And I went, that's it. <laughs> I, I need to go figure out how to control my, my income. And it was either get into sales or start my own business. And I didn't have a good idea or the money or the guts to start my own business. And so I started, um, uh, started selling, not knowing a thing about selling and, and uh, just been on an, a quest ever since to, um, educate myself and learn sales and then eventually, you know, sales, sales leadership. And the good news is, Richard, is that I didn't have any bad habits going into it because no one ever said you should get into sales. So I had no bad habits and, and had to, you know, learn, uh, you know, learn from there. And I, I started out in the equipment leasing and finance space. And, uh, and you know, thinking about today, um, if anybody, well, here's what the equipment leasing and finance space is, by the way. You have companies that are acquiring capital equipment, computers, software, phone systems, manufacturing equipment, um, and they can choose to pay cash for it. They can get a loan from their bank or they can lease it just like you lease a car. One low monthly payment and at the end of the lease, you give it back or you buy it or you keep leasing it. It's a very contractually driven, uh, contractually driven business. And 
one of the scariest things in, uh, that I learned early on is that uh, most of these really um, big titled people at companies, VPs of finance, treasurers and controllers, they don't read contracts typically. They'll hand it to the lawyers and ask the lawyers to read the contracts, but the lawyers are looking for the lawyer language, not the business language. And as a result, we were taught to screw customers over. They taught us how to right. use. So what does that mean? I'm sure, you know, that's a very long introduction, but that's okay too. I'm sorry. Right. Dale's is going to be so crisp because he gets to go second, you know. Um, you so know, what, what, what does that mean? What are those things that they taught you to do poorly? The easiest thing, the easiest thing you can do is, is basically lie and not tell your customer exactly what they were getting into. Um, and I've tried to be in businesses ever since that have been very transparent. I sell a product that you know whether it works or not. And so the expectations are very transparent. What was, let, let's talk about a little bit. What kind of lies did they ask you to tell? Yeah. So imagine a world where you're leasing a car and today would be a perfect example, October 17th, and you go lease the car today and, and it's a three-year lease and you think, okay, great. Today I lease the car from October 17th till three years from now to the, you know, to the day, but deep down buried in the language, it would be the three-year lease begins on January 1st and you're actually then paying two and a half months of extra rent or lease from now until the end of the month. And they call that interim rent, by the way. And so instead of being a 36 month lease, this would be a 38 and a half month lease. So you can imagine then if you're, if I'm selling a low, low monthly payment of X, I can give you a low monthly payment if I'm actually giving you a longer term. So, and so I wasn't being you, transparent. Yeah. So when did you have the epiphany of like, I can't do this anymore? How long? Haha. <laughs> Um, it was about uh, about a year and a half in that I started realizing that I was making these massive commission checks because our customers were getting screwed. And it happened because one of my largest customers in Wisconsin called me up and said, wait, what is this? So the contract was already done and he was already making payments. But he then called me out and said, wait, what is this? And I had to, and I, I, I was like, gosh, I don't know exactly what this is. And I had to go to my boss and I said, well, what is, help me understand what this is. And he's like, oh, this is interim rent. And this is, and I realized that they were, they had taught us how to talk through this in a way that basically was lying by omission. But they didn't, even, but you didn't even realize it. Like they taught you so well that you yes. didn't even know that you were lying. That's that, 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 that is correct. And so I left. I left and I went to another, uh, another, I'm letting people in while I'm talking at the same time. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> and so um, I'm watching that. So I got you. Yeah. So I left that company. I'm like, screw this. And I went to another company. I'm like, ah, maybe, you know, it's just the company. It's just the company. It's, you know, it's not, not ethical. Um, and I went to this other company and then I realized, oh, so imagine a world, Dale, where you go lease a car. And at the end of the lease, you expect to buy the car at a price or give the car back, or you keep leasing for the same monthly, you know, monthly payment. They didn't teach us. So this is the next company I went to. They didn't teach us. Well, they'll, we have to negotiate Dale on a price to buy the car. Oh, I want to buy the car. Okay, great. Well, the price is, you know, X plus a thousand percent. What Dale, Dale's not going to buy that. And, and so, okay, great. The contract would then say, well, if you don't agree to our price, then you're going to have to lease it for an additional year 
at this additional rate, not the same rate and an additional rate. Wait a minute, I didn't know that. And so now I started realizing the customers were not only getting screwed going into the deals, they were getting screwed at the, uh, at, at the end of the deal um, as well. And I only realized that, Richard, when, I, when a subpoena showed up on my, on oh, my doorstep. Those are the best. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I, had to, I had to sit there in front of lawyers who were asking me questions about, well, what did you know about this? And what did you know about that? And I realized that the wool was being pulled over my eyes. But one of the worst things in the world, um, and hopefully this doesn't happen to people on this call, I would sell a deal and the deal would then get packaged up to our like operations team to like package it or whatever um, and, and like execute on it. And they would literally go and change the terms of the deal and send the contract out to customers. So somebody else behind the scenes would change the terms of the of the of the deal. Imagine a world where you know you're selling software and it's a one-year deal, and then the contract goes out on purpose as a three-year deal. And, right. cool. and I mean that's that's just bad, scary stuff. And uh, and I had to get out of that industry entirely. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to cut you off because that's the longest introduction. I think we're going to call Guinness Book of World Records. And this is a long fucking introduction. For people who don't know about KG, he's also former head of, I don't know, revenue, sales, everything from ZipRecruiter, built that up like to the massive place that it is. So he's got a tremendous amount of experience. So forever, Thank you. Uh, looking for, for um, some advice and that kind of stuff. And he follow him on Instagram. He's doing stuff and on LinkedIn. So he's, he's got a lot of wisdom. Um, he and I met many years ago, way before that, uh, when yep. we were at two different startups funded by the same, uh, a great, a great VC open view out of Boston. So if open okay. view, checking this out, we appreciate it. Dale sales rebellion. Great. Give it to us. Tell us a little bit about you. And of course, tell us where you started. Cause I know this is where the stories are coming from. Sure. Yeah, my my story begins a long, long time ago. I don't have any cool stories like having the number one lemonade stand in the neighborhood or like selling comic books. But I oh, did but grow you got up, better than that. You got way yeah, better. I grew up in a small business and it wasn't just any small business. My father owned a copier company. So when I was born, they say that toner was running through my veins back in 1985. <laughs> and, and ultimately I ended up in that space when I got older, but, but my, my trip into sales starts at music. I played in music, toured in a, in a metal band on Warner Brothers records all over the United States. And I learned sales a different way. I learned it through entertaining. I learned it through influence. I learned it through fellowship community. I learned it in a much different way than most salespeople do. Kind of like KG alluded to you know, people recruiting him in and telling him how to do it. He got, he did the opposite. He just like joined it and learned himself. I kind of did the same thing where I, I learned a very non-traditional way. And, and by the time I got into copier sales, I realized this place is boring. It sucks, but there's a lot that can be done here. And, and I recognized that through my father's own works and what he had built and created with his business. Uh, but I also realized that there were gaps, massive gaps, and that I could have a lot of fun filling them. So here I am. Uh, I've been in sales now for 16 years, 15 so years. What's one of your favorite scary sales stories that uh, you had to go through? The copier world is full of, as they would say, sharks. So blood in the water, we're here to eat every single bit of you uh, and no one will survive. That's the concept of copier sales. It is mm -hmm. ruthless. It is cutthroat. Uh, KG talked about 
line was uh you know acceptable imagine just like literally not even selling what you're selling right so ultimately going door to door telling people one thing um, and it not being it true at all, <laughs> period. Yeah. None of it, not even a little bit. To, as a yeah. matter of fact, even like the company name, sometimes people would have to lie about because the company would be a giant pile of garbage that if you Googled them, you'd see a bunch of, you know, better business reports and <laughs> the whole nine yards, lawsuits, everything. So, I, I mean, I could get started on this, but ultimately I think some of the scariest moments for me were my own moments of realization of the power that I technically had over people in their businesses and just how, how easy it could be to be influenced to take advantage of people because of the amount of money that you could make in copier sales. And imagine being 23 years old and having all this money at your fingertips, right? And thinking, I would love to not be poor anymore. And I <laughs> would love to, yeah. to drive a car that actually works. So it's tempting. To so let me a- ask you a question. So, yeah, I want to I ask you a question. You, uh, you work for your dad's company. And the business, as you have always shared, is a little shady. How, how does that, I mean, that's a little scary too. Like, do you, do you approach your dad and say, dad, what's going on? Um, or do you just sort of trust in the process of your father? Yeah. So think of that. Think about this for a second. Every single person around me from a competitive standpoint had bigger offices, fancier cars, more employees in some cases. And my dad was always just a million dollar producer. And, and sure, they, they hit some higher numbers, especially back when he had NASA for about two decades you know, they had big numbers at some point. Right. But but my dad did it different. He was always smaller. He was always more lean. He was always more knit tight because he wasn't out there taking advantage of people and, and mm-hmm. latching on to a lot of the things that were available to him like the other guys. So I was being taught the opposite. Right. But I also what I learned is that what my dad was doing was very scalable from the perspective of making it more than just my dad, like other people in the org could also have that same standpoint. And and so that's where I found the power of staying with my father's business and not learning it from anybody else, because ultimately I realized that if we could influence people we brought into the organization from other groups that we could help them to see they could sell different and we could grow the business in a much more, you know, integral way. Either of you ever been chased out of the office or oh, yeah. you showed up like, Oh geez. What is well, that? Like, Hey G go first. <laughs> no, you know, no, you're talking about a, a customer. Yeah. Chase out of the out customer's of the office. office. Yes. Yeah, yes it's yes. funny. You'd say that, but I, I've never been chased out of the, uh, out of an office, but I interviewed a guy one time who um, sold to SMBs and uh, he was, he went into this one local grocery store and the owner was so pissed off. He pulled out his shotgun, <laughs> he pulled out his shotgun and said, get out of the office. I mean, talk about the biggest, uh, most powerful, no soliciting sign you've ever seen in your life. Wow. The, yeah. The, uh-huh. uh, the, the, uh, the, you know, the shotgun, but, uh, uh, I, there, there was another story in that equipment leasing space where, the CEO wanted to make an example of, and I wasn't at this business, thankfully, um, wanted to make an example of a guy who was kind of a shit disturber on the sales floor, literally walked, the CEO walked onto the sales floor, grabbed this by this guy by the shoulders and, and picked him up out of his, out of his seat and literally threw him out of the, uh, out of the office. You know, the, the employee eventually sued and it was like two, three years later when it, when it settled, but like, 
Can you imagine the CEO of your company yeah. grabbing you, grabbing you, first of all, grabbing you and literally throwing you out the door? Like, my word. Have you been ever thrown out, Richard? Uh, no, but I've been um, threatened by some folks in the mob. Um, legit story. Yeah, no, a long time, long time ago, I used to work for those, those cool weekly newspapers for those of us old enough. Uh, I was working for the one in San Francisco called SF Weekly, but we owned Denver Westward. We owned um, Seattle Weekly, uh, eventually the Village Voice in New York. And, uh, you know, I ran the classified ads, which is kind of where those um, adult mm. ads would run. If you if you don't know, there's a huge trial going on uh, with the founders. Uh, one of the founders, his son was my college roommate. Um, that's how I got the job. Um, yeah, against New Time, companies called New Time. So it's a fascinating story and it's going through multiple court iterations. It's crazy. Mm. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, I refused to place this ad because these uh, money orders would show up asking us to place these ads in the classified section. We got a call from a a woman who said, I just responded and I sent these people $5,000. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, it was that version of today's online scam, right? Yeah. Um, about the, you know, the Nigerian prince kind of stuff. Um, so I got a new one and I, you know, I, I, they had a phone number. So, you know, I called and said, you know, I'm sorry, we can't place this ad anymore. Everything came in a money order, by the way. So it was never, like, it was yeah. Never. So I call and, uh, you know, one of the founders, um, or I'm sorry, one of the guys um, that answered the phone, you know, sort of in that Tony Soprano, you know, Northeast, he's like, you're going to run my fucking ad. You know why? Wow. Because, you know, I know Jim, the founder, I know him. And I know your head office in Phoenix. And you know what? My big black Cadillac is about four blocks away from your office. So why don't you come outside and tell me you're not going to run my ad? Oh my gosh. And so of course, um, me, if you don't know me, guess who went, you went outside. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing, nothing came there. No, no Cadillac came along, but, um, eventually like, and it had been happening to all of our papers and everybody had had this situation. And uh, so finally, like the FBI got involved and I was like, that's probably this one of the scariest. Another time I had a same newspaper guy walks in, wants to run an ad, a full page ad in our paper um, that was um, uh, anti-Israel, anti-Jewish whole thing. Right. And uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, we, we can't run that. And he's like, well, why not? And I said, well, it's just not appropriate. We just don't feel like that's the right content for our readers. And he's like, well, but I have the first amendment. Oh <laughs> my said, word. And I said, and it was in my office. And I said to him, I said, you're absolutely right. You are welcome to go and start your own newspaper and print that there. Yeah. And then the, the next thing you know is he says, do you know who my father is? Oh, come on. I'm not kidding. Like, there's all kinds of paperwork with police departments in San Francisco for this stuff. But uh, those are probably my two scariest stories. And I'm like, no, I don't know who you're <laughs> like. I really have no clue. Oh, my but, gosh. Um, so th- those are my two scariest. Um, but I think that also gave me that thick skin to kind of probably wouldn't be so foolish now that I have a wife and two kids to go stand outside. Um, although yeah. so- some who know me might go, yeah, you would. Uh, but I think that um, I think that gave me some of my thicker skin for for sales and eventually sales leadership as I had to deal with, you know, reps who were, um, you know, not 
not that they weren't performing, but they just created the added, the, the cancer reps that we all hear about, the ones who who really just come in and cause trouble on the team and how do you, how do you mm -hmm. so so those are my two scary yeah I, I I got a scary one right from Arizona uh I, I'm in California but uh we had a large office at ZipRecruiter in Tempe Arizona and one of my directors well one of my managers left ZipRecruiter to be a director at another at another company. And if anybody knows me, they they know that like I love that. You know, I don't want to hold on to a leader forever. I'm like, come learn, go be a director or VP or something someplace else. Give me a big hug and I'm going to help you and support you. And uh and he went and started uh, a sale he was starting a new sales team, 30 people in an office in Scottsdale. And, and he goes, we're going to run fast, break stuff. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And, uh, and we're just going to pay all our inside salespeople. Uh, we're going to pay them on just salary only. And I went to time out, time out. It's gotta be, you know, you gotta make them punch a time clock. Right. And he goes, nah, KG, I don't have time for any of that stuff. I don't have time for any of that. He hires 30 people in like 40 days or some crazy like am amount of time. And he, get, he gets this one shit disturber. He's just, he's not hitting his goal. He's not really doing anything. And like 90 days later, he's like, all right, you're, you're going to have to go. Moments later, this dude's attorney calls. Yep. And, you're, and it was like, the guy was on speed dial. Sure enough. He had done this at two previous companies. He goes and finds companies that hire salespeople that should be paying by the hour, but pay them by the, by salary. And he brings as an attorney and they go and they sue. And so he, he sued. And it's like, are you kidding me? There's people out there that'll want to go work at your company as a leader. And, and you think, yeah, we're a small team. This won't happen. Um, and, and sure enough, they, they got sued. And this poor guy, he was like, I was just trying to do my job, run fast and break things. But, uh, but like, it's scary to know that there's people, there's salespeople that work for you right now that are like, that they're ready to sue you. In a, in a, in a moment's notice. And it, and it happens. Dale, Dale's like got a look on his face. Like, yeah, yeah I like to hear Dale jump in on these two stories. I'll throw a little, I'll throw a little mix <clears throat> into the end of the game here. I, I like, these are good stories. Uh, I'll, I'll throw one in. That's uh, probably something that people can relate to, to an extent. Uh, I went in cold called an insurance office and, and this was 2009, somewhere in that time range. And I just happened to be at an appointment next door. And this is something they teach you in the copy world in general, right? You have an appointment on site. You need to do five cold calls when you walk out. It's an old school method. But but I always looked at it as, cool, I'll go meet people and make relationships. I was a very happy-go-lucky dude in the sales game in general. And uh, nothing bad could happen to me, especially at this point in time. It never really had a lot of bad things happen to me at this point. But I walked into this insurance office and of course, you know, there's every sign and their mom listening on the, the door. And I walked up, walked to the front. Hi, I'm Dale actually looking for Carl. I had just seen his name, right. Had no yeah. idea who the dude was. Just figured this is probably my guy. She goes, do you have an appointment with him? And I said, not exactly. And that's how I left it. Right. She goes, Oh, okay. So this is a cold call. And I said, yep. She goes one second, please. And she uh -huh. gets up. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> and I think at first I thought like, oh, cool. Like this guy, no, he, he talks to solicitors, right? This is dope. So I sit down in a waiting room. She comes back out with a water, right? And she goes, just have a seat. He'll be out here in a minute. I swear to you guys, I sat there for 15 minutes. Yeah. 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 
So first I sat there for 15 minutes, right? And I was just like, uh, getting a little sketched out, right? So I, I asked the lady at the front, hey, I uh, just curious, everything okay? Should I come back another day? Oh, no, no, he's coming. Just getting mm-hmm. off a call, right? One of those, right? Mm-hmm. I started getting some weird vibe checks. Maybe a couple minutes later, though, he comes out, says, hey, come on back. Didn't look at me or anything. Just come on back. And he starts walking down the hallway that he's just walked all the way down. Um, and so I just kind of follow him, like try to keep up. Like my pace is a little fast. I'm like, God, he's going to shut the door on me. I roll into his office and I sit down and he goes, so what do you do? And I, I said, well, I, uh, I sell copy machines. He goes, okay. And he stands up. He's sitting at his desk at this point already. He stands up and he walks over to the corner and he pulls a baseball bat out of a golf bag. What? Yeah, he, come on. And, he, and on the baseball bat, it literally says like, you know, no solicitors on one side and the other side. It's like the Punisher, right? Oh, my God. I, mean, I know what like I'm a, getting you for Hanukkah and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> he's explaining this bat to me and he's like, we call this bat the uh, something about justice. He's like the flame of justice, you know, some stupid line. And, oh. and I just sat across the table just with this giant smile on my face like, Oh man, you! I love this actually. <laughs> You're like, oh, then, but then it got it started to get serious, and and he he started like staring at me deeply into my eyes, right, and saying things like, "What are you gonna do?" With like this look on his face, where his his like chin oh was God. pointed out, and so what are you gonna do, Dale? <laughs> the copier sales guy he's like getting closer to me i can smell his breath now and i i said i tell you what man i'm gonna come back with some prozac on another day when we can calm you down and have a great conversation how's that sound and now, you made it out you made it now out this alive? is the thing man is that it took me five minutes to leave so so for That's real scary. like he pushed the door shut when i opened it Right. And I, for a second there, I told my dad uh, way back, you know, I told my, I called my dad from the car, like jittery. I was like, Oh my God. Like I was going to do a fight with a guy, like a literal <laughs> fist fight with a guy. I told my dad, I said, I seriously thought about choking him out when he shut the door. Cause I thought I was going to like get beat up for a second. And I didn't know what was going on at that point. I mean, I'm pretty new to sales. I'm a couple years in. Right. But like, that yeah. kind of an engagement? No, I'd never had anything like that. And remember, I just came from a metal band and music. Like if that happened to me at a concert, there would be fists flying and people getting beat up. And so <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking this is going to be bad. But ultimately, I got I left. And this is the best part. Six years later, it was like 2014 time frame, 2015. A call came into my office and it was there. It was their office. and they were looking for copiers. Did they and know? They, did, did they remember? Everybody you? knew the story about me and this guy, right? Everybody, especially the people that bought my dad's business. They were like one of the, it was one of the first stories they heard because they went to the CRM and were like, what's this? Oh, <laughs> so my. Not only did it get assigned to me, but then everybody wanted to know what happened. I sold the guy three machines. And the, what's really funny is that he didn't remember me. Right? Yeah, of course. And then he pulled the bat out when he tried to negotiate with me. And I, I stood up from this, from this, from my seat and grabbed the paperwork and said, I'm out then if you're going to act like a dick. Yeah. And he, and he started laughing and goes, well, you can't take a joke. And I was just like, okay. And then when, when, did you ever tell him when we were delivered the copiers, I, I shook his hand and I said, this is a great moment for me. 
<laughs> and he said, he said, I agree. It is. It's good to have my business. I'm a, I'm a well-known, I mean, this guy is so arrogant and cocky. Right. And I said, no, 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 no. I sat in your office in 2009, a scared little sales rep. You bullied me with that baseball bat. You told me you were going to beat me up and acted crazy. And I thought I'd never get your business. And here we are. And you've already signed. The machines are in. And I'm telling you the story wow. now. So there's nothing. Did he laugh? Was he cool about it then? <laughs> he did. He laughed and he, he apologized even yeah. and had a whole different story, you know, yeah, yeah. but this is how people tick typically I wanna, are. Right. But yeah, I want to, I want to shift a little bit. I want to ask y'all management right so it gets scary when you get to management for the first yep. time yeah right? for me i think the one of the hardest parts of management was the first time i had to let somebody go right um yeah you know for me what was your first scary moment as you're coaching a team or a rep where you're like oh this is not going to be pleasant <laughs> or fun or maybe it, you thought it was going to be okay and it turned into something else well, I'll, I'll go first on that one. And I, you know, other people on the call, I'd love to hear it as, as well, but my word, you know, there's my first leadership experience and this guy's name was John and John was just no good. He was no good. And he, six months had gone by and he hadn't hit his goal. And he also had not, um, uh, he was also studying for his MBA, like, on the sales floor and I could see him doing it. And he was also kind of a shit disturber as well. Like he just was um, sort of a riot leader, anti everything, vocal in sales meetings. So six months later, and again, yes, I waited six months. Remember this is my first sales leadership job way back when. And, uh, and I went to the HR department and I said, okay, uh, it's time to get rid of John. It's time to terminate John. John's kind of a shit disturber. He's studying for his MBA. <laughs> on the sales floor and he hasn't hit his goal in six months time to let him let him go and here's the scary part the hr department turned to me and said well did you set his expectations that he needed to be doing all these things not studying for his mba and hitting his goal on a regular basis did you set those expectations that that's what performance looks like for you and i went are you kidding me <laughs> like i just peaked and she's like no i'm dead serious like does he know that those are your expectations of him and i went no. All right. Well, then we need to put him through a process. And so then I gave him a PIP and I put the PIP together, 30 day PIP, all this kind of stuff. And Richard, it was like the way a PIP should read, like, here's the things I expect of you over the next you know, 30 days. He signs the thing at the end of 30 days. Of course, he hadn't done anything. Guy was bad. I present him the 30 day PIP and I say, you didn't do these things and it's time for to let you go. He takes the PIP, looks at, looks at it rips it up and throws it back at me. This is my first termination in my entire life. My hands are going like, you know, shaking left and right. And, and he rips the thing up and throws it back at me and goes, these are things that you just wanted me to do. I didn't agree to them anyway. I mean, I just signed it because I had to sign it. And I went, oh my God, <laughs> like, well, so what do you do? Right. So here you have this. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. That's what I did. And, uh, and, and the learning lesson there, and this is all on my, 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 uh, my fault, uh, you know, you got to set expectations of behavior and performance. And those two things combined is the learning lesson. He, not only did I not define performance against quota, but I also didn't define behavior. Yeah. Don't study for your MBA on my dime. I pay you a base salary. You're, you know, you're working for me. 
do my job. Okay. After hours, you can do, you can do something, you know, something else. And that was, that was my mistake, but this guy done, this guy done. How about, how about you, Dale? I mean, you, you lead the sales rebellion for folks who don't know you, if you don't follow Dale again, his, his company is called the sales rebellion, which I'll let him explain it at some point. But what about you management? Scary thing happened. Something you learned. Yeah, or is it still happening daily? What was really fun was being in the shoes of the people that I was going to be leading first for so long. And because I stayed in the same industry when I became a VP of sales um, and, and it was a quick graduation, right? I had <clears throat> suddenly amassed 600 plus, you know, named accounts in a couple of years. And it was a fast paced learning experience where all of a sudden I had to then turn these accounts over to reps, build a team, manage them. And that's how I was being told to do it. Right. Um, but ultimately I always got coached <laughs> from my dad. Right. I never really got managed. So, so for me, it was actually, it was a really fun transition because I was excited to be able to kind of do the things that I loved having done to me with other people. Right. I love the idea of being able to like throw a challenge out and give somebody an exercise and something real time, especially. And it was a pretty frightening moment. The first time that my boss came to me and said, my, my president came to me and said, Hey, you got to fire this guy because he's not performing. And, and honestly, I thought like, I, I, at first I thought I've failed this person. Like I've completely and utterly failed this person and, and I'm to blame ultimately. And what about my job? And can I get fired this easily? And I mean, I started thinking about all kinds of stuff because up until then, I mean, I was pretty much untouchable is wasn't just the number one rep. I was like a distance between number two, number three, number four, number 20, number 30. I mean, I was a far distance, right. And there was yeah. no catching up to me. So it was, it was suddenly like, Oh, I'm not in control of this anymore. Like other people are in control of this. And, and it was freaky, man. And, and, th and they gave me a pip, they gave me a pip and they, they wrote the whole thing up and they told me to present it to the rep. And this is what I did for the record. I've posted about this too, by the way. I sat that guy down in my office and I said, I'm not going to fire you. I failed you. Um, I've done a terrible job leading you because you haven't been able to clearly haven't been able to get the hang of things as well as I, I should have been able to help you to get them. And I want to help you out. So I'm supposed to give you this pip. You're supposed to sign this thing. And I'm basically supposed to fire you at the end of this month because there's no way we both know. Like, look at this. I showed him the paper. I was like, there's no way you're going to do any of this stuff. Like, it's not going to happen. And and man, this guy looked me right dead in the eyes with tears in his eyes. And this, so this all this was a really freaky moment for me because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I thought, if I do this, I could be fired. And ultimately, you know, when I tell the story, like I always I laugh because our old HR person, she she follows my content. And I always laugh out loud to, to my friends and family. I'm like, I wonder if somebody will come back and sue me for these types of things at the right. end of the day for yeah. my violation of you know HR policy because I cared about people. But he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, no, nah, man, this isn't your fault. And he basically, he told me all the things that I've been, I was worried, you know, that I was the problem. You know, he started telling me that he had a problem with alcohol and he wasn't really coming to work too much and just telling me he was doing stuff. And and he poured his heart out to me. And it was this like moment where it got even scarier. Right. Cause I started wondering like, do I, well, what do I do now? Like, do I, 
do I pay for his rehabilitation? Like what, like what's going on? But, but ultimately I, I got, I had a moment uh, where I got to sit with my president and just have a one-on-one with him, like under behind the scenes, like no recordings, not in the office. And I told him, I felt so icky about the whole thing. I just said, Hey, I didn't give him a pip. I, I let him go find a job and then he quit. And that's why he quit. Like I let him go find a job and then he resigned. And my, my, my president bro looked at me like with a beer in his hand and he like chugs the beer back and he goes, well, sometimes you got to just not listen to your boss and do whatever you want. And just like throws the beer down. (laughs) And from there on out, I just thought like, I'm going to get fired. Like everything's going to end. But ultimately I, what I learned was that putting people first at the end of the day, like, that same president has come to me and told me, I really respect that you did that for that guy at the end. Of Have the you day. ever been burned by that though, Dale? Like you, you were trying to do this person a solid by not putting him on a pip and falling on the sword yourself as a leader. But have you ever been burned by that? Where like, I'm going to do you a solid and let you find a job and resign. Have you, has that ever like turned around and like, like you're, you're, you know, they say no good deed goes unpunished, you know? Sure. So have you, have you ever been burned by that? I think, ev- I think everybody gets burned by it, no matter how you look at it. Like you at get burned point. because you're the person that's, even if the, if it's the right thing to do and that person tells you something like I turned my life around, like no matter what, they took advantage of you in that moment. Ultimately you decided to let that happen. Like how I look at it is if I want to be a servant leader to people, then I got to put myself in, in positions that are unpopular without compromising my morals and integrity or the business. So ultimately the, the two weeks, you know, essentially that they paid this guy, I made up for, I sold two weeks worth of salary. Right. And, and didn't collect commission on the deals. Like I, I did things ultimately that like went unsaid to make sure that at the end of the day, I was taking care of both sides of the aisle, but they both burned me at the end of the day, no matter how you look at that. Right. Yeah. But there you go. I'm willing wow. to do that for, for what's right. You know, when all is said and done, I sleep better at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got another question. Either of you ever been put on a pip? No. Either of you ever been fired? No. KG, you might've locked up on us. No, I never, I never been put on a pimp or fired. So it's happened to me. I, I, I actually, I fired myself January first at the sales rebellion. I stepped down as CEO. Does that count? I yeah. took a lower position, so I fired myself. I've done that, but that's never been fired. Was that that's a good question though? Was it scary? You decided to make a change. Um, scary? Not scary? Yeah, bro, extremely scary. But yeah. but. Uh, ultimately the 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 right move and like and dude and nothing worth doing is ever easy or like can be bought into immediately right nothing nothing that's worth doing from the perspective again of what's right you know so it wasn't it was definitely freaky right but ultimately i knew that i was putting the company into better hands with another ceo and and he's one of my best friends and he knows the vision of the company and he's seen me build it from the ground up. So it felt like the right thing to do at the end of the day. And it's paid off at, you know, tenfold 10 months later. So, so yeah, but for sure, like a hundred percent, even in the process of like considering it and saying it out loud, it was like, this is going to sound nuts. You know, I even said that, like, this yeah, is going to yeah. sound crazy, but I'm kind of thinking this. And, and I think ultimately like what's always helped for me is that when things sound scary or feel scary or just not right in general to speak it out loud, as much as possible to your peers, to your mentors, to the people that you work with, 
and you'll figure it out. Yeah. What was it like? Because I know people are always thinking about things. What made you decide to start the sales rebellion? Right. Yeah. Were you? And by the way, I don't know this part of your story. Did you leave a full time job to start this, or did you like side hustle it up? You know what I mean? Where um, you're like, well, I'm going to start this thing, and then I'm going to see what happens. Yeah, this is from scratch. Like I, I did not have this built up. I had a very strong uh, following so on LinkedIn. Talk about that was it. Talk about that. That's a fear we all have, right? Whenever we change a career, sometimes it's forced upon us. Sometimes it's a choice. Um, how did you navigate through that? Because I think that's something we all face. I think ultimately that it comes down to faith and and belief. So I saw some. I saw a big gap in an area, especially think about all the things I just said about copiers and the KG just said about equipment financing. I mean, they're the same industry at the end of the day, they enable each other. And just like how bad it is. Like I saw a gap and I, I, I was at a giant corporation climbing a corporate ladder uh, that was a billion dollar company and on my way to the top, right. Slowly, but surely. And I sat back and said, even if I get there, I can't change this stuff from the inside. I got to leave an influence from the outside. It's the only way this is going to happen. And so it was a sacrifice. It was ultimately something that I fell in love with though, the idea of, right. I, I cherished the concepts that, that I had come up with around how to sell differently from the perspective, mm -hmm. again, of putting people first commission, second community before pitches, you know, all these things that I yep. kind of thought up. Right. But ultimately at the end of the day, it came down to belief in myself and faith in the process that I had something worthwhile. But, but I think at the end of the day, even if five years from now, it doesn't turn out the way that I thought it would, that it's, it will 100% be worth it from, and that goes anybody out there listening. That's got a crazy idea. Betting on yourself is one of the best things you can do, even if it fails um, because I've owned other businesses outside of this. So I I've had side hustles that I own that I tried to make, you know, more of a main hustle that didn't work out. So this is the first one that has. Cool. How about you, KG? you know, you've sort of followed the, uh, the appropriate path, got job after job, you scaled, you didn't hit the home run, uh, with zip recruiter. Uh, you got some, uh, I don't know. You'll say it, but I'll say, you got, I think you got fuck you money. I don't know if you got, I know you got fuck yeah money. I think you got some fuck you money. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, how do you, cause I think this is the question I have for you. For those of us who are going through that startup phase and yeah. everything looks really great. How do you, choose that right startup because it's a little scary what happens if you pick the wrong one right how do you what are some of the things you learned through your experience doing that mm -hmm. actually i'll tell you so i got fired from my uh very first job in december uh, sorry september of 2001 and uh this guy pulls me into his office he smoked in his office kg this is your last day and i was so pissed I realized that was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I needed to get out of that industry, the equipment leasing and finance industry. And I stumbled across a little search engine called business.com uh, that was in Santa Monica, cost per click advertising. Didn't know anything about cost per click advertising and the VP wanted to hire me. And I was so scared because I'm switching industries. I'd been in this one industry for seven years and now I'm going to another, you know, another startup and it's a different industry entirely. But here's what, here's what gave me comfort. I knew that it was a good commission plan and I could make money. I also knew that my worst case scenario was I made a bad decision going to this company 
and I could go find another company to go to go work for. And and the net net here is um, asking the question: What's the worst case scenario that can that can happen? Can help you. Um, not worry about making such a good decision. Because look, the reality is, is that most startups fail. Only like 10% of startups actually have some sort of a liquidity event. Some very fraction of a percent actually ends up get doing like $100 million in revenues or, you know, or, or more. And so your ability to pick a good startup to go to is actually very difficult. And so my suggestion and my learning lesson at the eight startups that I've been at is, can you vet the people? Can you do reference checks on the people that you're going to go work for? Can you get a good understanding of the commission plans? Is it a good commission plan? Can I learn something by being at this at this industry? And everything else is a lot of is a lot of luck there thereafter. A lot of things have to go really what, really. What well. do you vet? This is a really good one though, because what are you vetting? You pick up the phone. You're going to call about your yeah. potential new boss. Right? Oh yeah. Oh do absolutely. Tell, do, you, do you tell them that you're going to? seek references? Do you ask them for references? No, screw that. Dude, okay. look, I'm I'm interviewing with Ian Siegel, which, you know, he's the CEO of ZipRecruiter. And, you know, this is back in, you know, 2013 or whatever the hell it was. And I can look on LinkedIn and see where he was. And I then go look and go, okay, who worked there that know, that would know him? And I called three people. I'm like, tell me what it's like on the worst day to work with this guy. What's it, what's it like? And, and like, tell me the truth, you know? Um, I didn't, ask. I, I want you to repeat that. What was the question you asked them? Cause that's a great, yep. whether you're in management looking for people or you're looking for a new job. What's that question again? Tell me what's the worst day working with it. Like what's the worst day like work? That's really great. I love yeah. that. Like, cause that's, I mean, look, people always say to me, Richard, God, it must've been so much fun being at ZipRecruiter for eight years and your meteor or meteoric growth. And I go, screw that. <laughs> There's nothing fun about that. That wasn't fun at all. It was hard every single day. Even when we were successful and profitable, it was very, very difficult. Um, and there was times t- twice when we were there where shit could have gone sideways and we could have like just gone under just just like that. It was it was uh, there were some tenuous times. Um, it's really difficult. And so like understanding in those moments what it's like to work with the people when stuff is difficult, which is difficult a lot at startups. That's that's what you want to know. And so pick up the phone. You know, look, you're I think, Richard, you did a presentation several months ago about, you know, interviewing. You should be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Right, Richard? Yeah. All the time. And that's that's exactly my the central premise to that is they're going to do reference checks on you. You go do reference checks on them. Go find out. what. By the way, did he find out? Did he find out before he hired you that you did the reference check? Nah, he didn't care. (laughs) I didn't ask if he cared. Did he find out? Nah, he didn't. He didn't find out at all. But it was good, though, because he was like, oh, he's going to be unbelievably metrics oriented. He gets so pissed off when the numbers aren't right. Like, oh, well, great. I'm a dork. I'm a numbers guy. So he's going to love me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He throws up on us again, KG. So sorry about God that. damn it. So I promise I didn't put you on mute. So um, any last questions uh, y'all want to ask? And before you do that, um, uh, shout out to Sendoso, Scratchpad, MedRep Meeting, uh, Vidyard, and Outreach.io. We appreciate them. Uh, folks are still looking to uh, come. We got a couple of slots left for Surf and Sales in just a few weeks. So um, one of these days, Dale and KG are going to show up. They keep promising 
but you know, I don't. Know. I'll just keep sending people on scholarships, bro. That's what we. Well, do. that we appreciate that too. We appreciate that. I. It's yeah, always man. funny because I know KG, and he's like, "Well, you know, I don't know. I'm like KG, you can afford it. Let's cut it out." So. Uh, <laughs> but any any questions you guys want to ask? Feel free. Go ahead. Uh, we'll get out of here. That was for the two of you. Oh, well, you got to be more specific. Tate, you got a question, bud? What's up, Tate? What's going on? Apologies. Coming in right at the tail end. Um, All right. No questions. It's, it looks like, is this going to be sent out? It looks like it's recorded. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're recording it. We'll send it out. There'll be a record. You know, you know it'll all be taken care of. So um, thank you. Hope it, yeah. No, no, no worries. Thanks for making it in. Sorry, sorry you couldn't get here in the beginning, but uh, we're glad you made it at all. Thank you. Of course. All right. Dale, KG, where can folks find you? Aside from LinkedIn, which I posted. What else do you want to share with them? Um, ooh, he froze up at the wrong time, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> Guy exit ZipRecruiter came and afford a fucking decent internet connection. <laughs> I'll drop it. TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, you, you name it, at Sales Rebellion. You want to find me on any of those? And then head over and check out our new website. We got a brand new website. We haven't told anybody, thesalesrebellion.com. Cool. It's fun. It's intuitive. We got a free Slack community on there full of rebels, talking sales, doing good stuff. Yep. Come get it's involved. Cool. I love I love Dale. I love how I met you a couple of years ago through all of this. So uh, well done. Well done. Cheers, bro. All right. Well, KG, I'm going to give out your cell phone number now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's all right. We appreciate both of you being here. It looks like you shut it down. Um, but thank you everybody for coming. We appreciate it. And I, you know, we'll see you again next time.